welcome to the Practical Manifester Podcast. My name is Jenna Rossiter, and I'm a mindset, manifestation, and self-love coach. If you're ready to let go of what's been holding you back and learn to co-create an amazing life, then I've got you covered. I'll give you real talk, practical tools, and strategies to help you get out of your own way and create a life that you love. Let's get started. Hello again, friends. I'm so happy to be back. This last six weeks or so has been a lot. We've had three sicknesses roll through our house, but finally everyone is feeling much, much better. This was a great opportunity for me, however, to show the universe that I am not the same as I used to be and reinforce that I am an energetic match to being a successful entrepreneur. So if something is standing in the way or coming up for you and holding you back from the things that are important to you, just remember that you are being given an opportunity to push through. Uh, In the past, after beginning something, I would inevitably get sick or go through a big life change or something out of my control would happen and I would drop the new thing and go back to old habits. But when you're up-leveling your life, the universe will provide you with these opportunities to overcome old patterns, change the narrative of your life. A lot of times we fall back on old ways of thinking when these moments come up, but that's why we do the inner work and make the identity shifts to have the choice to choose something different for ourselves. So here we are feeling ready to dive back in. Today's topic is one that is extremely important to me, as this is the problem that I have struggled with most in my life, and what ultimately ended up leading me to finding the courage and perseverance to do the inner work and heal. In this episode, we're going to talk about emotional eating, binge eating, and the reasons why we turn to food often against our will. The entire concept of using food as a coping mechanism is something that people feel intense amounts of shame around. I remember when I realized that the cycle I was stuck in was one of binging and restricting, and I was mortified. I have been obsessed with food and nutrition for as a form of medicine and lifestyle since I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease, back in 2010. I began going down the rabbit hole of the link between autoimmune diseases and nutrition, The fact that what you put into your body really does affect your overall health in significant ways was the foundation to my disordered eating. I just didn't realize it at the time. Now, I want to be very clear here, and I think nutrition and health are immensely important to quality of life, your overall health, longevity. I would never debate that. But I will say that the line between health-focused nutrition and diet culture is extremely blurred, not for everyone, but certainly for a lot of people. Health-focused nutrition is based in science for the optimal health of people who use it to overcome debilitating afflictions, life-changing health concerns, mental health issues, chronic and progressive problems, and a lot of these people are told that there is no cure, there is no getting better. Just manage as best as possible with medications that sometimes cause as many problems as they're solving. I walked out of my doctor's office with a diagnosis that made me feel like I was dragging my way through life and the solution was in a pill every day for the rest of my life. I was so relieved to have that solution because I was so tired of being tired. I was tired of my hair falling out. My skin was always dry. I felt like I was wearing cement shoes all of the time. My period was almost non-existent for years and years. I was depressed. The baby weight I had put on with my first child hadn't budged at all at this point and I thought that this pill was the solution to all of that. Little did I know that although my blood work would come back into a normal range to make my doctor happy, the rest of my symptoms would be minimally relieved at best. I went searching for answers because I honestly couldn't wrap my head around feeling this way for the rest of my life. 
I was not disappointed by what I found. I altered my diet, prioritized nutrition, removed inflammatory foods, changed my household cleaners, beauty products, baby products, pretty much anything that I could think of to provide an optimal environment to be healthy and thrive in. Like I said, I was not disappointed. My period came back, my hair stopped falling out, and I got a bit of energy back. I got off antidepressants. My life was beginning to look like it might not be the dumpster fire I had imagined moving forward. But my weight, my weight would not budge. Now, weight is probably the first warning sign that the thyroid is off. And because I was being very mindful of every bite that went into my mouth, I felt like I hadn't identified everything that was causing my body harm. I saw a friend and I made a comment about my weight and how I wasn't sure why I hadn't leveled when my other symptoms were beginning to wane. And she said to me, it's sugar. You need to cut out sugar. Desperate for change, I decided that sugar was public enemy number one and cut every bit of refined sugar out of my diet. So I still kept in things like real honey, maple syrup, um, like unrefined raw sugars, coconut sugar, things like that, but in a lot less capacity in my diet and certainly anything that was refined was gone. Now, I'm not saying that sugar is good for you, not by a long shot, but what happened next after the decision to eliminate it entirely was the pivotal moment that damaged my relationship with food. Now, that started in a way that seemed like it was really good, and that was that I began to lose weight. I was so happy. I was finally slimming down. My thyroid disease was beginning to feel like a nuisance as opposed to a life sentence. And I quickly became the go-to amongst my friends and family on how to alter your lifestyle for improved quality of life. Every book, podcast, YouTube video, everything that I consumed or that I watched at the time was about nutrition and health. Shortly after this, I found out that I was pregnant again and quickly cravings and fatigue took over my willpower to abstain from all sweets. I gained weight and a lot of it with my second pregnancy. And then within nine months of giving birth to my second, I was pregnant with my third. So by the time my third baby came, I was the heaviest I had ever been. I was exhausted, underslept, overstressed, trying and failing to cope with all of life's obstacles and feeling completely hopeless. This coupled with postpartum depression, a strained marriage, and extreme guilt over not being and feeling happy all the time because I had been blessed with such a beautiful family, I felt utterly lost. I remember feeling like I was drowning, like I was drowning in my life and then somebody just kept handing me another baby. And don't get me wrong, I am so grateful for my ability to be able to have children. I love my children more than anything. I would never, ever, ever try and take away from somebody else's experience of being able to either not have children or choosing not to have children. I just think that it's something that is often not talked about, how the struggle of adjusting from your life pre-children to your life after you've had children, it's, it is a lot. And a lot of people really undermine the transformation that you have to go through in that process and how difficult it can be. And for me, it was difficult. I, I really had a, a loss of identity. I felt like I, I went from being me to being this exhausted, stressed out, overweight version of myself that it just didn't feel like me anymore. I felt ashamed and I felt worthless. Like I was, like I was weak and I was failing. My weight became the physical manifestation of all of these failures. 
I was eating all of the time, living off of six to 10 cups of coffee a day and began hating the women around me who didn't seem to be struggling in the same way that I was. Eventually, self-preservation kicked in though, and you go looking for solutions, right? So this was in October of 2017, and the keto diet was beginning to be super, super popular, like everywhere you look. So knowing that cutting out refined sugar had yielded a bit of weight loss for me in the past, it seemed promising. So I talked to my husband about wanting to begin, and he was totally on board. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. I have an accountability buddy. You know, I'm super learned in nutrition. I'm a trained chef. So making delicious food that was low carb, not a problem. Okay. And I was absolutely determined to do it right and make it work. I set up an Instagram page to keep me more accountable, but also to stay motivated and network with other people who were also taking control of their weight and health. I tracked every bite that went into my mouth. I weighed myself daily to see my progress. My husband, he lost weight like immediately, even while being semi-strict, but I took a little bit longer to start seeing results, which honestly is normal for me, especially considering my underactive thyroid, but I did start to see the number move on the scale eventually. I was obsessed. The more I saw progress, the more I needed to see progress. I was very quickly addicted to the feeling of seeing a lower weight, watching my clothes getting looser, people commenting on my weight loss. I felt like I was finally going to be able to get my life back. But the problem here is that even though I was feeling better in most ways physically, I was beginning to believe the idea that I would never be able to eat like everyone else ever again or I would end up gaining all of the weight back. I was terrified of backsliding, of losing control. The longer I went not eating ice cream with my kids on hot days, not having a piece of birthday cake, not getting the potatoes that came with my dinner when I was at a restaurant, the more deprived I felt. I was still not happy with my body. I needed to lose more, be better, get slimmer, and I felt embarrassed that I couldn't just eat what other people ate. I felt like I was a sugar addict and couldn't control myself around sweets. This was backed up by the fact that every time I tried to eat a small something as a treat, I'm using air quotes right now, I know you can't see them, but I would unintentionally eat way more than I had planned. I felt out of control around food and deprived. Over time, I slipped into a binge restrict cycle that sometimes consisted of eating on plan for two weeks and then was followed by two to three days of binging. And sometimes it was restricting all day and then binging all night. The more I tried to get things back on track, the more ashamed and out of control I felt. My autoimmune symptoms were flaring again. I was regaining the weight. I was swollen and puffy in my hands and my face. I was desperate for the willpower to regain what was slipping away from me. At this point, a small sliver of self-awareness slipped in and I realized that I was stuck in a pattern of disordered eating. That was a extremely, extremely scary revelation which had me looking for ways to fix it so I could just go back to restricting 100% of the time. Like that was the ideal solution for me was where I could stop the binge restrict cycle, stop the disordered eating so I could go back to just restricting. And honestly, thinking about that now, I'm like, oh, what was I doing? (laughs) What was I doing? But it is what most of us do when we are struggling with our weight. So I found a lot of information on the comparison between drug addiction and binge eating and how the key to overcoming binge eating disorder was to abstain from binging. 
Um, okay, that's helpful. It's not helpful. So <laughs> like the idea that you can control emotional eating, binge eating, overeating by just not doing it is like saying, well, just stop being depressed or just stop being addicted to alcohol or like it's, it is so absurd and it comes from this place of just really having no understanding of where people's heads are at and emotionally their states when they're in, when they're in these situations. And it is extremely arrogant in my opinion to just preach at people to just not do the thing. But that is the leading advice in all of these situations. So I tried that. Obviously I failed. So that's fine. I just felt like more of a failure. Like I couldn't do it. Like other people could get results from this and it was just me. And I felt more and more like I was a loser and that I was pathetic and I couldn't actually fix my problem. My husband was still maintaining his weight loss at this time as well, which (laughs) he indulged semi-regularly in carbs and sugar. And I was just spiraling out of control with self-loathing and contempt. I would go from like being so restricted that I wouldn't put a red pepper or a slice of onion on something because of the amount of carbs in it. And then I would eat like 3000 calories worth of chocolate that night because I'd been restricting all day. And like the thing that people don't understand about the binge restrict cycle is that it's, it's not your conscious mind that chooses to have the binge, right? It's that reptilian brain. It's that, that old brain. It's your subconscious. It's literally your survival instincts are kicking in and they are, it's stronger than you. Your subconscious mind is stronger than your conscious mind and it will win hands down every time. It might not win at first, but it will wear you down. And so this is after a couple of years of being on a very restrictive diet for me. And then it just got to this point where like, I just kept losing that fight over and over and over and over again. So at this point is when I obviously went looking for even more solutions because the solutions I had found on just don't binge were clearly not helping me. So that's when I learned the term emotional eating. I stumbled across it and for whatever reason, I stopped and I paid attention and I really learned what that meant. I had heard the term before and what immediately had come to my mind in the past was the overweight Scottish character in Austin Powers who says, I eat because I'm unhappy and I'm unhappy because I eat. If you remember the name of that character, I'm not going to say it here. I'm going to refrain from that. Um, But then you know that this line was the ultimate joke, poking fun at people who use food as a coping tool and struggling with their weight. The idea that I could somehow be compared to a comedic character whose entire identity was based on being overweight did not sit well with me. This is what happens when you get into these shame cycles, right? Is that you take every bit of this and you internalize it to just be more evidence that you are in fact lacking, that you are shameful. Like it's it's very overwhelming. And in order to be able to cope with something like this, you have to persevere through that and stop attaching meaning to the things that you come across, the things that you find, the things you discover about yourself, right? So when I allowed myself to do that, to let go of this identity based on my weight, based on this emotional eating 
side of things, then it started to occur to me that as I continued to educate myself on exactly what emotional eating is, that this character was actually a perfect representation to how we are taught on a societal level to dismiss emotional dysregulation and create shame and guilt around our body image and an inability to fit a mold. If you're anything like me, When you picture what emotional eating looks like, you see someone crying into a tub of ice cream or lashing out in anger at anybody that crosses their path and then ordering $30 of McDonald's. So although this can look like this sometimes, okay, that is what emotional eating looks like sometimes. More often than not, it looks like someone quietly repressing their emotions, avoiding confrontation, ignoring their own needs in interactions, and numbing their feelings with something distracting and comforting, aka food, okay? Food has been present your entire life. It will be present your entire life. Most of our parents used food as a coping tool. Most of us have used food in celebration. Most of us have used food to distract from boredom. Like most of us have a base of using food to help placate our more intense emotional responses, good or bad, right? And the fact that we continue to turn to that as a solution as we get older makes perfect sense. It is readily available for most people, for most people. It is extremely rewarding in the initial moment and you have to eat to survive. So it's easy to tie that up into just, well, everybody has to eat, right? The difference here is that if you are eating for survival and or for pleasure, that is not the same as eating for avoidance and or coping. Most of the time, people wouldn't even classify themselves as someone who struggles with emotional eating because the response to reach for comfort food is often faster than we can even register that we're having an emotional response in the first place. You are not feeling out of control with your emotions because you are numbing, distracting, and overriding with food. It's no wonder then that we reach for highly palatable foods. These are the high sugar, high salt, high fat foods. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those foods. In fact, I preach the opposite, that no food is inherently good or bad, that you just need to learn to eat things in the right amounts and right ratios that feel good to your body, right? Your body is very smart and it is very intuitive and it will tell you what it needs and what it doesn't like. And I can tell you right now that after every single binge I had, I felt awful on a body level. My body was screaming at me that this was not what it wanted, but my mind was overriding that every single time. So not only do these foods have their own addictive properties, like it's not a secret that sugar is highly addictive and all that. It's not a secret, right? But these foods create a dopamine response that our brains are seeking in these moments to help us avoid the discomfort of our emotions. So we become addicted to addictive substances, including food, because we are emotionally dysregulated and suppressing our needs. That's the big piece that people keep missing. That's the big piece that people keep ignoring. It's about using your willpower, restricting allowing things in moderation. But like, if you have, if you have talked to anybody who has had any kind of problem controlling themselves around any coping tool, so I'm talking like 
binge watching Netflix. I'm talking about promiscuity. I'm talking about drugs. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about food. I'm talking about gambling. I'm talking about anything that people get addicted to. Okay. Scrolling on social media. That's addictive. It's been proven over and over again. There is a dopamine response that comes with those things, but not everybody gets addicted to them. So if you are having a problem controlling yourself in these situations, then you are having a problem with emotional regulation. So for people to think that they are not emotional eaters, if you are binge eating or you are overeating regularly, I'm not talking about like twice a year on Christmas and Thanksgiving when you eat too much turkey. I'm not talking about that. Okay. But like if you are regularly overeating to the point of discomfort, if you are regularly reaching for food when you are not physically hungry, then you are an emotional eater. So The comfort factor and the distraction factor coupled with deprivation involved with restricting diets and the feelings of food scarcity when we lower calories, monitor all food intake, um, and feeling like you have to be perfect in every single bite in every environment, that creates a binge cycle all on its own. The brain will always prioritize safety above all else. And the avoidance of feelings and thoughts that feel overwhelming is seen as an act of self-preservation, regardless of how it may negatively be affecting your life in other ways. Okay. And also, a lack of resources, even if, even if you have a full fridge and a full pantry and a full chest freezer, and you have all of these things, you could have a buffet table spread out in front of you. If you are mentally restricting, that is the same to your brain. Restriction is restriction is restriction is restriction. Okay. It is all scarcity. Your brain kicks into there's not enough. There's not enough. We're going to starve. It doesn't matter if you are 300 pounds overweight. It doesn't matter if you are extremely underweight. It doesn't matter because your brain perceives the environment as unsafe because you have told it repeatedly that there is scarcity around food. So these two situations, most of the time they go together. This is the worst part of it, right? Is that we avoid regulating our emotions. We avoid dealing with things that emotions and traumas and things sitting in the body. And we do that avoiding with food. And then at the same time, we're shaming ourselves and telling ourselves that there is this restriction around food, which causes the scarcity mindset, which just feeds the binge, right? It just feeds the binge. It feeds the emotional eating. And I'm not like, I use binging and emotional eating interchangeably. Um, understand that I, I know that not all emotional eaters will sit down and eat 8,000 calories in a day. And that, you know, it's, I know that they're not always the same behaviors, but they're always from the same place. Okay. So that's why I use them interchangeably because if you solve one, you solve the other. So if you, feel restricted around food because you are intermittent fasting or you've cut out entire food groups or you have labeled some foods as good or bad or you shame yourself when you eat, okay? If you are restricting and creating this scarcity mindset and simultaneously 
not allowing yourself to comfortably and healthily, is that a word? I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. Healthily move through your emotional state and regulate your nervous system and allow yourself to have emotional responses on a healthy, normal, regular level, because that's what like being emotional is regular guys. It's normal. It's normal. Okay. Being really fucking angry or being sad and crying your face out or being super, super happy or being like anything, all of the emotions, they're all normal. There's a whole spectrum of them. They're all normal. There's not good emotions and bad emotions or whatever, even though we have labeled them as such, just like food, right? Good and bad, allowed and not allowed. All of it is fine. All of it is fine. Should you have an intense, aggressive, angry reaction in the middle of the store at some clerk who's just trying to do their job? No, but like the anger itself isn't bad, right? So find a way to allow that emotion to come to the surface in a way that is not going to cause damage to your life or other people's lives. Okay. So finding a way to move through our emotions. And a lot of this is done proactively. Like I made my biggest successes in terms of getting my emotional eating under control when I began to proactively start regulating my nervous system. When we seek food to avoid our feelings, we overeat and often disassociate, right? That's because our subconscious minds are in control. If you are doing something in this autopilot kind of sense, like, you know, when you drive to work and you're like, how the hell did I get here? Who drove the car? The same thing happens when we emotionally eat because your subconscious mind is running the show. That's why you can consciously make the decision to not eat something anymore, to not emotionally eat anymore, to not binge eat anymore, to not eat after, I don't know, 7 p.m. or whatever your rules are, okay? You can make those decisions consciously consciously, and you can mean them and feel them with like every fiber of your being. And then you will do the thing anyway. You will do it anyway because your subconscious mind takes over and it goes like, mm, sorry, you don't run the show, right? So <laughs> the key here is to help the subconscious mind relax and stop turning to these coping mechanisms to deal with the things that we are not otherwise dealing with. Guess what? When you don't have an overflow of constant emotions that are being repressed in the body because you refuse to acknowledge them, you refuse to process them, you refuse to actually feel them, when you don't have that sitting in your body, okay, then there's no need to distract you from them. There's no need for your brain to go into this hyper-vigilant, oh my God, we can't go anywhere near those feelings because they're so overwhelming, so let's just eat this food and get this dopamine instead. Like That doesn't have to happen when you are already just dealing with your emotions as they rise, when you are dealing with your emotional state proactively. Okay. And when we start eliminating food rules and scarcity mindset and this restrictive mindset around food, then your brain doesn't have to feel like it needs to get all the food now because there's not going to be any more later. The reason that you have that built into your brain is because there was a long time in human history where food was scarce and where you did eat everything that you could 
in the time that you had access to it because who knew how long it was going to be until you had your next meal. This is a survival tactic. Your brain is trying its absolute best to help you. Your brain is trying to keep you safe. It's trying to protect you and it's fighting for your survival. Always. Your subconscious mind will always, 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 always choose your survival. It doesn't give a shit if you are happy. So you may be miserable every time you go clothes shopping, every time you get dressed in the morning, every time you step on the scale, every time you look at your reflection, every time you think about your body, every time you see somebody else who's capable of doing something that you're not, every time you can't keep up with your kids at the park, every time you feel unattractive when your partner makes a move on you, like you may feel miserable, miserable, miserable in these moments, but they are not as dependent on your safety and survival as where's your next meal coming from. So I feel like I've already made this extremely clear, but I am going to just say it matter of fact right now. And if this is difficult for you to hear, then I would like you to take some time and reflect on why that is. Because when I heard this, it was difficult, like difficult for me to hear. And I railed against it. These people don't know what they're talking about. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That shit doesn't work. Like, (laughs) okay, I'm just going to say it. Stop restricting. Okay. Are some foods better for your optimal health? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want to know what's a lot fucking worse though? Not being able to control yourself at all because you're so, so restricted that your brain literally kicks into survival mode and then you eat everything in sight. How is restricting foods working out for you right now? How is it working out for you right now? Do you feel like you're at your optimal health? Do you feel like you are fully in control? Do you feel like you are happy and satisfied and free to live your life? Do you feel like your emotional eating and binge eating is not a problem for you? Because if that's the case, like do whatever you want. (laughs) I mean, do whatever you want anyway. It's not my life. But this was really hard for me to wrap my head around. So... (laughs) I I think though that this was, I think this was the number one thing in learning to let go of binge eating for me was stop restricting your diet. Stop restricting your mindset, even when you're not restricting your diet. This is crucial. It is crucial. Stop Stop assigning meaning to food. Stop assigning meaning to yourself for eating food, right? The problem with all of these things is not what they are. Things just are what they are. Chocolate is chocolate is chocolate is chocolate. Chocolate is not good. Chocolate's not bad. Some people love chocolate. Some people don't like chocolate. Some people eat more chocolate than their body would like to optimally take in. And some people will restrict themselves entirely on it, okay? But the chocolate is not anything. It's not good or bad. It's your meaning that you have attached to the chocolate that's the fucking problem, okay? Like there was, I don't know if you've seen 
Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but like Jack Sparrow has this quote and it has stuck with me forever. I just love it. And it is, I'm probably going to butcher this. I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. The problem is not the problem. The problem is your perception of the problem. And this fits perfectly when we're talking about assigning meaning to things like food, assigning meaning to anything, assigning meaning to ourselves. Like, oh, wow, you ate chocolate today? You're a horrible person. Like, think about if you said that to somebody else, how absolutely ridiculous that would be. They would look at you like, what? Well, oh, okay. Like you wouldn't even consider saying that to somebody, not because you were afraid to, but because it would be so ludicrous. It would be so far from the truth. So why the hell do you say that to yourself? Why are you a shitty person? Because you ate the chocolate. You just feel bad when you eat more chocolate than you actually wanted And you did it absent-mindedly because you were acting from your subconscious mind for preservation. Right? So if you don't restrict the chocolate in the first place and you haven't assigned meaning to the chocolate in the first place and you just eat the damn chocolate when you want the chocolate and you're not doing it because you're running away from your feelings or you're distracting yourself from your emotional state or anything like that, you're just, wow, I really love chocolate. I'm going to have some of this chocolate. And you actually eat the chocolate for the pleasure of it. You're probably not going to eat a lot of chocolate because guess what happens when you eat two pounds of chocolate? It feels like shit. It is awful. It hurts, man. Like it hurts. The reason that we disassociate when we are binging and emotional eating is A, because the subconscious mind has taken over and B, because we would never be able to put that much food in our bodies if we were present in the moment. Okay. Like it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. So just Man, just like, just let yourself get the pleasure that the food brings you without it meaning anything and without avoiding anything. Okay. So my last little piece here on this, okay, is that I would just like to touch on, I'm not going to go into great detail about this. I can at a later date, if you would like to hear about it, just let me know. Um, I am, I am not saying that diets are bad. I am not saying that wanting to lose weight is bad. I am not saying that putting in effort to change your physical appearance is bad, okay? I think that all of those things are perfectly fine. I also think that diet culture is toxic as fuck, okay? And that not trusting yourself to work through your emotions or move through hard things in your life and constantly seeking avoidance is dangerous, okay? This is how binge eating is developed, right? Same thing with drug use, alcoholism, gambling addiction, all those things we talked about, right? All those other addictions. This is how those addictions are formed. When you feel out of control, like you literally cannot control yourself around something, there is a reason that that is happening. So the important thing here is to pay attention, tune in, okay? Tune in, tune in to your body. Let go of the stories, let go of the meanings, let go of telling yourself that this means that about you or that means that about you, okay? Let go of that, 
just even for just give yourself 60 seconds, just give yourself 60 seconds where you just let go of all that shit and just tune in and just ask yourself, what is asking for my attention right now? What am I experiencing right now that I'm not allowing to come up for me? What emotions need to be felt right now? I can pretty much guarantee you that you will get an answer to that. Just don't question the answer, right? Because your intuition will feed it to you. So just trust that answer that comes up and then tune into that for a second. Okay. And you may get emotional. All right. But that's the point guys. That's the point. Your emotions are not bad. And when you ride out an emotion and you just allow it without, without telling yourself stories about it or attaching meaning to it. Okay. Not like I'm really sad right now because that thing happened. I must be this horrible person or I must be weak or I must be a loser or nobody loves me. Like don't attach the meanings to the things. Okay. That's where the, that's where the spiraling happens. That's why your brain is afraid of the emotions because it likes to overthink it, but it's not your emotions aren't about your brain. So just dismiss it. The thought comes up, you dismiss it. Thought comes up, you dismiss it. Okay. The feelings come from the body. They come from the body. Okay. And that's where we store them. And the more emotion, trauma, everything else you have stored inside of your body, the more your brain will seek to avoid. So Allow yourself to just tune into that body, tune into the physical sensations, to tune into where it is in your body, how it feels. Like, can you, if you close your eyes, can you see it? Can like anything? Just it'll it'll show up different for every single person. There is no right, there is no wrong. Okay. Just tune into it. Tune into it. Okay. We always talk about how does that make you feel? And then we use our brains. We use our brains to describe that. We use our brains to tune into it. We use our brains to like try and be present with it. And that's not how it works, right? Feel it. Physically feel it. Okay. If you do this, the feeling will dissipate so quickly that you will be shocked. You will be shocked. All right. The first time that I did this, I was feeling intense anxiety about a work issue. And this was not uncommon for me. And this is when I had just learned this concept. And I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to feel my feelings and like be completely lost to them for the rest of my life because that's what will happen if I like open the floodgates. Right. And I did it anyway because, you know, you sometimes you just have to trust the process. And I laid down on my bed and I closed my eyes. And I asked myself where in my body I felt the anxiety. And then once I was able to identify where in my body it was, I asked myself what the sensations felt like. And once I was able to describe those sensations, I was crying at this point, not hysterically sobbing, although that has happened. Okay. But I was crying and I was not attaching meaning to it or myself. And I was just paying attention. I was paying attention. Now that I'm tuned into it, it kind of felt like it's moving a little bit, that it's headed a little bit higher. You know, my hands, I have this urge to shake my hands out. So I did that. I allowed myself to just be present in my body and follow the movement through my body. And then after like a minute, it just wasn't that bad anymore. It just wasn't. 
it was like, huh, that's unfortunate. Wish that was different. But like, also I'm fine. Like it, (laughs) I was shocked. I was shocked. I honestly could not believe that the advice of allowing the feeling would actually help. I was like, I was so skeptical, but it worked. I swear to God, you guys, it works. Okay. I swear. So obviously we have some actionable steps at the end of this one. Okay. Stop restricting your diet. If that's a huge deal for you, that's okay. I'm not like, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but maybe just like toy around with the idea of why is that such a difficult concept for you? Okay. Just get really honest with yourself as to why that is such a difficult concept for you. Okay. And by the way, stopping restricting doesn't mean, Hey, now all I'm going to eat is like nothing but Chinese takeout pizza and copious amounts of chocolate and ice cream. It just means that you can have those things as well. Cause like, I don't think I know an actual adult who only eats those things and doesn't like any other food. Usually when people only eat those things, it's because they feel so restricted around those things that they like get it while they can, you know? So if, if you feel like that's all you're going to eat, like ask yourself what foods you actually like. I bet you there's going to be foods on that list that aren't pizza and, you know, candy. Okay. So it's okay. Just, just get comfortable with the idea of not restricting your diet. Okay. Just get comfortable with it. All right. And second, okay. Think about situations where perhaps you may be experiencing an emotion and not allowing yourself to go through the process of actually experiencing that emotion. Okay. If that is something like (laughs) when I'm at work, I'm super triggered by this one customer who comes in and comments on my appearance all the time. Obviously, like maybe when you're at work, that's not the best time for you to ride out that whole thing. Okay. But make time for it. Make time for it. Okay. Sometimes when I'm dealing with my children, Children are extremely triggering. I will definitely do an episode of this later in the future. And that's because they they trigger all the unhealed things in us. That's our shit. That's not their shit. That's our shit, right? But like when I am triggered by one of my children because they're doing something or going through something or whatever that is very difficult for me and causing emotion to come up in me, instead of either lashing out inappropriately or repressing that and then eating away at me and me eating my feelings later on to try and cope with this onslaught of stuff I haven't dealt with. I file it away. I make, I literally make, I, I say out loud in my head. I don't know if anybody else understands that concept, but it's like, I actively say in my head, like process this anger when you have time to yourself. Like I, (laughs) I have to say that because I need to make a mental note of it. Okay. And then my kids go to bed And I take 10 minutes to process the anger. And then I don't carry that anger into tomorrow. I don't carry that anger into a restless, shitty sleep. I don't carry that anger into onto the couch where I'm going to eat, you know, bag after bag after bag of food that's awful for me. I made time to move through it. And therefore, my brain doesn't have to find ways to distract me from it. Right? (sighs) 
guys, this is this this one is like this is literally the entire reason I swear that I ended up finally digging into healing my emotional state and doing the inner work and finding my my ability to be my authentic self. This is this was what pushed me because I was so distraught and hopeless and I had just I had tried everything or so I had thought I had tried all the diets I had tried all of the exercising routines I had tried all of the willpower based you know situations I had tried everything I had asked people who were really fit like how do you do it how do you do it how do you do it I had tried hating myself I had tried punishing myself okay but the way the way to move through this is to stop being such a dick to yourself and just let yourself be a human, okay? And experience your human emotions. Okay, so if this is something that you feel like you are ready to work through, using mindset, manifestation to create a healthy relationship with yourself, a healthy relationship with food, and learn to treat yourself with love and compassion instead of punishing yourself for not being good enough, then my new signature program is going to be for you. So I am in the process of building it right now. Stay tuned if you uh, if this sounds like something that would be right for you, okay? And then I teach you how to end emotional eating, stop the binge restrict cycle, love yourself fully, okay? Let go of old identity and limiting beliefs and live in a body that you feel amazing in. Okay. I'm calling it the soul body program. And that is because to me, your soul body is one that you feel like your most authentic self in. Sometimes that includes slimming down. Sometimes it includes gaining weight. Sometimes it doesn't include your weight at all. And it always, always, always includes improving your relationship with yourself, improving your relationship with food and boosting your self-confidence through the roof. Okay. Everybody's soul body is different to them. And that's why we tap into what that means to you. And then we, I guide you through how to actually get there. Okay. So this is perfect for you. If you are ready to live as your most, most authentic self and let your beauty shine through your pores from the inside out, because beauty is soul deep. And I'd love to help you remember that. Okay. If you would like to get on the wait list, send me an email to hello at generositor.com. That's hello at J-E-N-N-A-R-O-S-S-I-T-E-R.com with the subject line, soul body waitlist. And then in the body of the email, if you could just tell me a little bit of where you're at right now, where are you at? Like, what's your struggle? Where, what are you hoping to change? You know, and I will, I will put you on the wait list. I'm only going to have limited spaces, once the door is open, um, and I, I'm doing that because I would like to make sure that I provide outstanding value for each and every person that goes through my program. I want to help you create lasting, lifelong, soul deep changes, okay, so that you never revert, revert back to having to distract yourself and numb yourself and punish yourself. Never. I don't ever want to go back there and I don't want you to ever go back there either. Okay. So in this first launch, it is a hybrid program, which means that you will get access to my course. And then you will also have weekly one-on-one coaching sessions with me. And I don't know if I'm going to remove the one-on-one coaching and make it just group coaching after the first launch, but it will happen eventually. And it will also probably never be at the same price point as I'm going to launch the first time. So definitely on the ground level is where you are going to want to get in if you would like to get the most value. And I will help you make epic changes. Okay. So make sure that you don't sleep on this. 
because I promise it's going to change the way that you think and feel about your body and your life. All right, guys, that is it for today. It was great to be back and chat. I'm so sorry there was such a long break. Honestly, that was ridiculous, but I am back. I am back. Thank you so, so much for listening. Don't forget to share this podcast with somebody that you think might get value from it. And I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.